0: Do you guys see what Shalane Flanagan did on Monday? For those of you who don't know who she is, Shalane Flanagan has been to the Olympics multiple times. She is an accomplished distance runner. Uh, she has won Olympic medals, and she was the uh, first woman to win the New York City Marathon, first American woman in over 40 years to win the New York City Marathon. And uh, most importantly for our purposes here Uh, She is the pride and joy of Marblehead, grew up here and still comes back here to visit. So on Monday, uh, she ran the Boston Marathon in two hours and 40 minutes. She was like the 30th woman to cross the line. But what made that so amazing was that uh, the day before, she ran the Chicago Marathon in two hours and 50 minutes. And then she got on a plane, flew to Boston, and then got a few hours of sleep, got up, and ran 10 minutes faster in the Boston Marathon. She says it is the best Ma- Boston Marathon she ever run. Now, in order to accomplish this incredible feat, Shalane had to go through strenuous training, running almost 100 miles a week in order to prepare. Every day revolved around making sure that she got her miles in, making sure that uh, she was uh, eating right, making sure that she was taking care of herself, all on top of taking care of two daughters that she fosters and is now uh, raising. So it was an incredible feat, all um, made worth it when she crossed that finish line. Now Shalane knew that every morning when she got up that she would do the training because she had this deadline approaching. And Paul, in the passage that we looked at, uh, that Lance read for us, uh, talks about a deadline that is coming up, a big glorious moment that he is finding himself preparing for. He says that uh, moment is what he calls the judgment of Christ in verse uh, 10. If Second Corinthians chapter 5. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And so Paul is writing to explain that everything he does in his life is done to prepare for that day. That when he wakes up in the morning, He's thinking about that future day and so it organizes his activities, it organizes his priorities, it organizes his time. Now runners are known for keeping pretty meticulous records of what they do. It used to be that you wrote in a notebook and then people started keeping spreadsheets and now it's all uh, on watches and in apps, but uh, you could look back and you could see every single uh, mile that is a runner has run and what pace they ran in at what time, what the weather was like, things like that. Uh, as meticulous as runners are about keeping records, uh, God keeps a record of absolutely everything. You've started to wonder if Google can read your mind and their algorithm has gotten that good that they can. Well, God actually does know your mind. And so uh, Paul is talking about a day when everything you have done and everything you have thought is going to be revealed and judged on the, pa- on the basis of good or evil. And this is not just going to be you in a room uh, with Jesus by yourself having a personal interaction. When he talks about the judgment seat, the people... Uh, in Corinth know what this is about because you could go, you could even go today and see this judgment seat. The word in Greek is the bima. Uh, It is an outdoor open arena where a judge or governor or some sort of ruler would come and sit down. The person would stand in front of them and then there would be an audience around them so that they would hear exactly what you are being accused of and they would hear the outcome of the judgment. This ought to be a fairly heavy thought for us this morning, that there will be a day when we stand before God's glorious throne and everything that we have done is going to be revealed in a very public way, If this morning you feel like, well, uh, if we're going to be based on the, uh, basis, if we're, we're going to be judged on the basis of whether we've done good or bad, then uh, maybe I'm going to do OK. Maybe uh, the first half of my life was a little rough, and, and the scale was a little heavy on the bad side. But now that I'm a little more tired, now that I have less energy, now I'm just starting to that's starting to go down a little bit, and then uh, or up, I guess. And the, and the 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 good deeds are starting. To, I'm starting to add those on slowly, and maybe 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 I'll do okay. I just want to uh, help you understand the standard is not like a curve based on what you've done uh, compared to the other people in this room or the other people in the town that you live in or the other people even in the world. Uh, The standard is Jesus Christ and His righteousness. God sent His Son into the world as the righteous one who showed us exactly how to live. And Jesus Christ did not live for himself. He lived for others. Paul says in verse 14, the love of Christ controls us. Or another way of, of uh, translating that is the love of Christ constrains us, like the banks of a river constrain the water that is going through it. The love of Christ constrains us Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. When he uh, describes the way that Jesus lived his life, it was a life of love. According to the two great commandments, love God with all your heart and soul and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Everything that Jesus did fit within those two guide rails. Jesus Christ did not think about what his uh, most important needs were or, or what, what he could do to advance his resume or his reputation or his own comforts. He lived for the good of others. And so he sets the bar so incredibly high. He he says that whatever you did for the least of these you did to me. So if you go and visit someone in prison, you're doing it for me. If you feed someone who's hungry, you're doing it for me. If if you clothe someone who's naked, you're doing it for me just as I did. When I lived my life. And so we think, well, I'm not doing too bad until I compare myself to Jesus and realize how much of my time and how much of my energy and how much of my uh, intentions and desires are focused on my own needs and my own comfort and my own reputation, we realize that we fall way short That in that moment of judgment, if we're judged on the basis of how loving we are and Jesus is the standard, we don't have a chance. And so what we want to do is hide. We want to go and we want to disappear just like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. When God commanded them not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there's those two words again, and then they go and they break God's commandment, what do they do? But they realize they're naked and they hide from God. If we think about this future judgment and realize how far far short we are going to fall, we are going to fall, yeah. (laughs) What we want to do is we want to hide. But that's not how Paul lives his life. In fact, he says everything about us is known to God and it is known to you. In verse, where is that? Yeah, verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God and I hope it is known also to your conscience. And not only his activities, all of the things he's doing for other people but also his heart. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. Here is Paul willing to put himself out there, willing to advertise everything he does and everything he feels Feels. And when he thinks about the judgment seat of Christ, it is not with uh, fearful anticipation, but with joyful longing. He actually cannot wait for that moment when he stands before the judgment seat of Christ. He says, he says I, I long to depart from this body and to be present with the Lord. I long to be with Him. I long to... For that day, how can Paul be so confident about standing before the judgment seat of Christ when the bar has been set so incredibly high? It is because Paul does not anticipate standing before that judgment seat with his own righteousness and his own good deeds, with the righteousness and the good deeds of Jesus. Paul knows the outcome of that judgment because in one sense that judgment has already taken place. Paul knows how it is going to go because it has already happened to Jesus Christ on the cross. He says in verse 21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He's talking there about Jesus Christ, the perfect standard of righteousness who was crucified on the cross not for his sin but for our sin. As we have tried so hard to hide ourselves, and not be exposed for all of our unrighteous deeds. Jesus, in one sense, lived his life in order to be exposed, not for his unrighteousness, but for the unrighteousness of those that he loves. He took on our sin. He came to know it, Though he did not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he became so acquainted with sin by taking on our sin that he was judged on the tree of the cross. When we hear about someone being judged, uh, we kind of have in our mind the assumption that they're guilty. Like if someone ends up in court uh whether they the however the judgment comes out uh we have in our mind well they must have done something wrong they didn't necessarily maybe they didn't do the crime but they were probably uh kind of you know, there's some gray areas in their life and and that's it's true in the sense that there probably are things there are things that they've done wrong whether or not they have anything to do with the crime that they're being committed of uh, being accused of but especially if the judgment. Comes down as guilty, we assume that the wheels of justice somehow have at least done, been, there's some truth in what has taken place in that judgment. Now, the Roman system of judgment was designed in a way to maximize public exposure and public humiliation. That if people saw Jesus hanging on the cross, whether they assumed he deserved to be crucified or not, the assumption would be, surely this man has sinned. And so Jesus, being publicly exposed to all of that shame, had absolutely nothing to do with his sin, but with his love for us that he might be able to redeem us, to buy us back, to reconcile us back to God. That word that Paul uses over and over in this verse is that word reconcile. Verse 18, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. If two people are going to be reconciled, that means that they, at one time, had some form of a relationship, that there was some sort of uh, intimacy and union between them. But that, rep- that, that relationship was uh, somehow Ruptured and they were separated and so there was a division that came between them and now reconciliation is necessary to bring them back together. The way in which God has reconciled us to himself is by taking Jesus and putting, us, putting him in our place on the cross. It's as if we're standing Before the judgment seat. And the judgment is obvious. We have all fallen tragically short. The judgment is pronounced. And then the judge stands up from his seat. He comes down and he says, Now I am going to pay the penalty for your offenses. That's what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. He he paid the price that absolutely none of us could pay so that that relationship with God could be restored. And so this is the kind of hope that Paul has when he looks forward to that day of judgment, knowing that he is going to be able to stand in that judgment because it's already happened to Jesus on the cross. And so now it's not a fearful anticipation of that, but a joyful longing for that day to be fully realized. And so that's why Paul can say, now as I long for that day, I live for the one who loved me. He says in verse 9, whether we are at home or away, meaning whether we're with the Lord or whether we're here on this earth, We make it our aim to please him. Not because he's trying to earn more points with God, but because he knows that God has already accepted him in Jesus Christ. In fact, he says he's been already transformed so that what he is going to be in that judgment, he already is now in this body. In verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away; behold, the new has come. A new creation that is longing to be revealed in the end times, but is already happening right or has already happened right now inside of our hearts. So he says it's no longer about keeping score and trying to build up points for that day, because that is a completely uh, hopeless exercise. But it's about receiving what has already been given. It's about living that new life that God has already given to us through the death and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. I was uh, struck by the what this means for us uh, as I recently reread a uh, biography of Rich Mullins. Um, Rich Mullins was one of my favorite singers uh, when I was in high school and died in a car accident uh, the week of my, the day before my 18th birthday. And so uh, I've come to learn a little bit about him. There's an amazing movie and you, if you listen to one of my sermons a few weeks ago, uh, I don't recommend movies. I recommend Uh, this is the one movie I recommend, The Ragamuffin. It's about Rich Mullins. And uh, part of the story is about his relationship with his father. And uh, his father was a a farmer and a mechanic. And uh, he's really comfortable with machines and animals and not so uh, comfortable with uh, being affectionate with his children. And so this caused a lot of pain in Rich's life. And uh, he always wondered if his father accepted him, if his father uh, approved of him. And uh, his father couldn't couldn't give him a hug, couldn't tell him that he loved him. And one of the assignments that his spiritual director, Brendan Manning, gave him uh, after his father died was to write a letter from his father to himself. So he imagines his father in heaven, uh, or his father meaning uh, his earthly father who's now with the Lord, uh, writing him a letter back from that vantage point. And at the end of the letter, he has his father say, you should see what righteousness looks on me. Your mother would faint. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says, and I see it with you, and I, I see it on you. And I am bursting with joy. And for me, as a powerful illustration of someone who outwardly, perhaps it wasn't so obvious uh, what their relationship with Christ looked like, but now in heaven it's so fully revealed that if you could just begin to grasp a little bit of what it means to be a new creature in Christ— To no longer be naked but to be clothed not with your own good deeds but with the righteousness of Christ. How that would transform how you think about God and how you think about others. If you knew how deeply you were loved, that would change the way in which you love others. If you knew that you could stand before God confidently, being clothed in the amazing, glorious righteousness of Christ, that would change how that you live before Him, knowing that it's actually possible to love Him and to love others, and knowing that you don't have to exhaust and kill yourself doing it out of obligation, but you can, you are free to pour yourself out for others out of love. Because really, everything we do is out of love, whether it's love for power or money or reputation, or out of love for God and others. Whether it's out of love for self and and lust and and self-gratification, or whether it's out of love that has been given to us from God, everything we do is out of love. Shalane said in an interview that the reason that she's running these marathons now after having retired actually from professional running is that she's fallen back in love with the sport. There was a time where she did it for money and for reputation and and for recognition, but now she's just doing it out of love. She's realized it's something that she loves to do. And she says, because of that, this is the best Boston Marathon I have ever run. That's what it looks like on the other side of judgment. When we realize that we no longer have to do do things to prove ourselves or to earn points for some future judgment, we know that we've already been accepted. We know that Christ has already been judged in our place. And now we are simply free to love. We are free to love God and we are free to love others. Rich Mullins was known for when he would sign his autograph, he would say, be gods. So many of us feel like it's about being good, that a Christian is about working hard in order to make sure that we avoid certain things or that we're known for for being good people. Rich Mullins understood that it wasn't ultimately about being good. Ultimately, it's about being gods. And that is who you are, thanks to his Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.